and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. I'm Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcast aficionado, and I am joined today, as I always am, by my co-host... Sam Ashurst, and I'm a screenwriter, a director, and I write about film for a bunch of different places, and I'm very excited to talk about Blowout uh, today. It's one of my favourite films of all time, but before we do that... Dan, why don't you talk a little bit about the structure of the show? It would be my pleasure. Uh, every fortnight, Sam and I look at the Arrow catalogue, either back into the archives or an upcoming release. Uh, we choose a film of particular interest to us. Uh, we watch it, we talk about it, and then... And then uh, we give recommendations based on that film. Uh, and then we also give recommendations based on the films we've been watching over the past couple of weeks because we watch a lot of weird films and we want to tell you about them. But before we do that, Dan, why don't you tell them about the plot of Blowout? So Blowout concerns a B-movie sound recordist who, while out recording atmospheric sound for his latest um, horror movie, which I think is called, like, Co-Ed Slaughter or... Co-Ed Frenzy. Co-Ed Frenzy, thank you. Um, oh, of course, with Frenzy in it. Nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which uh, he, he's recording some new wind sound, and he hears a noise that may become a clue to not just a murder, but a big conspiracy. And the film is about his life sort of spiralling into obsession about about that and the sound and what it means. Yeah, that's that's a really, really good summation. And uh, as ever, we're going to talk about the opening scene, um, which is one of the most sort of impressive and audacious opening scenes that we've covered so far on the show. Um, it's a POV slasher movie, basically. You think that maybe you've walked into the wrong cinema screen. And it basically show us, uh, shows us co-ed frenzy, um, which is, yeah, this... POV slasher movie with crazy over-the-top sound effects. It's like a, a long, unbroken shot um, for, for quite a while until it, uh, like, outside a student dorm, and then it goes inside and the shot breaks. But um, one of the things that's interesting about it is that it's uh, the first use of Steadicam by De Palma, and it's actually uh, the inventor of the Steadicam who is uh, doing the shooting, um, Garrett Brown. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a really interesting scene, isn't it? Yeah, it's really nice. I'm not normally a fan of starting with a film within a film. Right, I'm yeah. not a big fan of it as a trope. Uh, I think they do it quite well in this. It works so well. Here. It's obviously like a bit Halloweeny, mm-hmm. uh, like it's you know because it's the POV and it's Garrett's hand that comes into shot holding the knife. Yes, um, when they get into the showers and the slasher bit starts. Actually, it was um, it was Willemos Zygmunt, the director of photography mm. for Blow Up, who suggested the Steadicam for this, because, right. which is why it was the first one De Palma had done on it. And De Palma talks occasionally about how before that he'd done all these long shots, but they'd had to be handheld and he'd never liked the kind of herk and jerk of that. Mm. But this is only a year after um, The Shining. Right, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, is the one... I think the first film to use the Steadicam was in 76, so this is five years after that. And 76 was quite a popular year for it. But when they got to... Um, you know, by the time they were doing I saw a... So we talk at the at BAFTA where the camera operator for The Shining was talking about using the Steadicam, this is like new bit of kit. And 
it was before reflex cameras were a thing. So he couldn't actually see what the lens was seeing in those shots. He's seeing a sort of side view, like a viewfinder, like the old disposable cameras where they have the flip up plastic bit mm. on the top and it's not quite the same frame. So he was kind of guessing, particularly when you get into close ups, he was guessing as to what would be in frame. Mm. And obviously this is also before the days of immediate digital playback. You've got to wait until the dailies have been processed. You watch them mm. like at the end of the day or the next day. Um, and I wondered, I tried to do a bit of research and I couldn't find out what cameras Blowout, uh, blowout was shot on, mm. but I I wonder whether or not they were benefiting from reflex because you get Steadicam with split diopter mm. in this, which is a, a quite a bold mix. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> De Palma. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's really interesting, and and kind of one of the things I really like about this opening is is kind of De Palma sort of getting to have his cake and eat it too. Like it's clearly a, a satire of slasher movies, but it has. A lot of boobs um, and a bit of masturbation, um, and <laughs> and so it's interesting that it kind of opens with a parody of exploitation films because obviously this is a film about exploitation um, in in a lot of different ways. So um, it's quite an interesting connection. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Well, because it, it mixes that kind of slightly seedier. like obviously not as seedy as something like Body Double, but it would it it, it plays with that sort of underbelly narrative and it was because he was still doing comparatively small films at this point this was he hadn't got really big but also he is making choices to try and make his films more palatable um he talks about how he used to love split screen and obviously he will use that again elsewhere but the split diopter in this was chosen as a a version of split screen that would be more acceptable to the audience so he's obviously making these choices to to try and continue with the same aesthetic, the same way of telling a story, but to make it more accessible to a mainstream audience. I mean, he still does use split screen uh, in the movie, including like one of my sort of favourite ever split screen scenes, which is um, it's almost like a Back to the Future level of exposition where um, we're hearing sort of a, a newscaster yeah. basically set up the whole film like it's it's basically exposition via a newsroom but to keep it interesting it's it's done with a split screen with Travolta sort of um going around his studio and like doing different like sound effects yeah and a couple of them if you pay attention foreshadow stuff that's gonna happen later in the movie so it's really really clever yeah that's pretty much the second scene of the film isn't it yeah like we, that's there are it's there's that lovely bit of credits where it's the sound needle moving revealing the key like the Head of department name, which also has a massive spoiler in it if you pay attention. <laughs> um, yeah, well, but that's it. It's nice because people don't notice those things until the second or third viewing. Exactly. And actually, yeah. we were talking about how this kind of felt a bit giallo-y and how it compares to *Birth Across the Plumage*, which we did in the first episode, mm-hmm. because it's one of those I've seen something, I don't know what it is. It could be the key to the whole thing, mm-hmm. like mysteries, and it deals with it very differently to *Plumage*. But then again, Plumage also has like close-ups of reel-to-reel. It has recording phone calls. It has rewind, like, you know, footage of them rewinding uh, reel-to-reel to playback sound and re-evaluate it again. So there are there are sort of connections there as well. And uh, like I've I've got a kind of slightly different take on on it and De Palma's career to you. I think maybe I feel like he had done some big stuff before. Um, like obviously, Carrie was pretty huge and. It feels a little bit like Blowout is him growing up. It's still got those elements, those exploitation elements, but it's almost like he opens with that slasher movie and he's saying, yeah, this is what you expect from me, but 
I'm going to subvert those expectations and, and make a different movie to what you're expecting from me. It's, yeah, it's interesting to see it as a patchwork of the stuff he's dealt with before because it does have that like sort of slightly exploitation horror-y side to it. Yeah. But then also, like, the... the low-level spoiler. We won't discuss much in the third act, but this is very low-end spoiler stuff. Um, but depending on how picky you are, you might want to go away and watch it if you haven't seen it. Please, please, yeah, please do watch, it. watch it. It's incredible and it's very easy to spoil because it's got some amazing moments in it. So and it's got twists all the it. way through as exactly. well, which is fantastic. Exactly. Um, it's got some little, lovely little one-scene, two-scene, like, false, like, fake-outs yeah. just buried in it as well. They're not yeah. main story twists, but are just really lovely storytelling. Absolutely. But um, but if you look at the, the short films he was doing and, and who he was casting in his very first films before he was doing really genre stuff, he was quite political. He was very anti-war. He'd drafted, dodged the draft of Vietnam by pretending to be a gay communist. And so in this, like... You can ref, you can go back to a lot of films. Obviously, he has his Hitchcock influences. Blowouts, obviously, a, a blow up is obviously there. Yeah. Um, the conversation kind of it feels like that's got an influence as well. But what's what he talks about his influence is like the Zapruder footage. Like he's a, he was, says he's a self confessed assassination nerd. So like all of this stuff. And there's one the name of which I can't remember, but has a a cool name. Do you remember the name of Teddy? I think it's Teddy Roosevelt crashed a, a car off a bridge and killed the girl in the car. Oh, with him. right, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he ended up, he, he ran away and got convicted of mm. leaving the scene of a crime. Um, and that foot, like the, that event was what he was referencing with the, the footage of the car coming off the bridge and how that crash happened. So it's, it's all based in his, his interest in like the intrigue and lies that are told by government as well. Absolutely, yeah, completely. It's an incredibly political film. And, and also, you know, it's set around. The, the Liberty Bell celebration stuff, yeah. which is very interesting in terms of government. And yeah, he also, not only is he kind of obsessed with, with that stuff, and, you know, it is like a combination of Watergate and, and the JFK assassination. De Palma also, as you'll probably be able to tell by his films, had a, a voyeuristic obsession. And, you know, he had trust issues as well, which are related to that. And it came from when he was a child, um, his parents got divorced and he spent a few days or several days stalking his dad uh, yeah. with recording equipment to try and sort of catch him out. So this feels like a very, very personal film as, you know, sort of bold as it is, it's got a real sort of personal heart to it, which is one of the things that, that makes it so interesting. Yeah, he... Um... He, that was at the behest of his mother. Yes. His mum asked him to do that. Yeah, so he, yeah. as a child, he has to go and spy on his dad, who was, I think he was like a surgeon or a, like he was a, he was a, a doctor because he talks about being in the room with his father while he was doing operations and how much blood there was. And obviously he had a bit of admiration for his father, but he was separated from him because of the work and stuff like that. So when his mum was like, oh, your dad's unfaithful, you need to go and spy on him. That's a really weird position for a kid to be put in. And De Palma now talks about how the best way to get someone to be a witness to something is to have them be spying on a naked lady, put nudity <laughs> in the in the scene, and then and so even in this, although there's no nudity in this scene, Travolta is is out recording sounds for this film, but he's distracted by a couple making out, and he turns his microphone to them and starts like being a voyeur into their their goings on. Yeah, and and they notice and like, you know, is he a peeping Tom? Is he a pervert? And it really feels like, you know, this is 
this is De Palma here, like reflecting on himself in yeah. a strange kind of way. Um, and another personal element um, to this is that he was actually married to Nancy Allen at the time of shooting. Um, he'd actually written Dress to Kill for her, uh, which was the film before this, but um, he hadn't actually planned to cast her in uh, Blowout. It was originally going to be uh, an older couple um more sort of world weary and cynical but then um john travolta was cast obviously a massive star at the time and if, if you sort of want to imagine it's basically like when brad pitt did seven sort of that level of star doing something that's that level of sort of grimy and, and dark and cynical and all the rest of it but anyway um well, yeah. it was it was Tra- it was Travolta who pushed for Nancy Allen to take the role. He was resistant to it because he felt that working with his wife as much as he was was damaging their relationship. And actually, they'd end up divorcing not long after this movie. Mm. But when Travolta was first uh, cast, two things happened: the budget went up hugely. Like he was able to command a much much bigger budget for the film. It had been quite low budget initially. But the other thing was that the casting agent started trying to press Olivia Newton John on him yeah. to play that role. <laughs> And it was Travolta pushing for his wife that meant that he sort of... He for for her, De Palma's yeah. wife, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no, because obviously Travolta and Nancy Allen had appeared in Carrie together before, so they clearly had amazing chemistry. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that it, this could have possibly contributed to the divorce. Don't massively want to speculate. However, um, Nancy Allen described this character or how she saw this character as being a rag doll. Yeah. Um, and, and also John Lithgow... Um, was worried about seriously. Well, I don't, I don't know. Actually, that could potentially you, you be a spoiler. Be, you but, can be vague enough. But. Yeah, um, but, but but you know, there's a possibility that De Palma prioritised the film over you know people's personal comfort at times. So, um, well, that's a sorry. No, what are you going to say? Well, that, that seems to have been, like, that ha- has happened quite a lot of times throughout his career. Like, mm. it, the film is always forefront. There was a, an early film he did where there was they were filming a sort of gonzo scene out in the streets. Or, well, I think it was in a lift. And, uh, and there was a moment of concern when they thought one of his actresses might actually be being raped. And oh, he Jesus. didn't stop the camera, which is pretty fucking extreme. Yes, so yeah, he's obviously like nothing is more important to him than the film, and I think if you're in that in the film with your partner, your wife, that can cause problems. Yeah, exactly. And um, I guess we can probably start to wrap this up. Um, can we talk about Lithgow for a minute? We can go. Um, he's, I mean, he's fantastic in this. He worked with. Uh, I'd, I'd actually Sam is much more FA with this film than than I am, and had seen it. I think more recently than I had as well. Yeah, and definitely more times than I had. Yeah, um, I'd forgotten until the opening credits came up that Lithgow was even in it. But right. he is so good in it. Yeah, he's incredible. Um, but and I always think of him as this kind of character because of De Palma films. But he was being cast by everyone else as like the the more like jovial, friendly character most of the time and, and um, De Palma was casting him against type pretty much every time he cast him mm. um, and this came to a head when The Untouchables came out because it opened against Harry and the Hendersons at the cinema so it was Lithgow in his other role up against De Palma's dark grittiness and everyone thought that The Untouchables was going to be sunk by Harry and the Hendersons and that Harry and the Hendersons was going to be huge and actually, obviously, Untouchables blew everything out of the water. That's amazing. And um, this isn't a recommendation. We haven't moved on to that bit yet. But if you want to see the ultimate uh, De Palma and John Lithgow collaboration, oh, then yes. watch Raising Cain, which is also on Arrow Video. Oh, and it's also so <laughs> amazing. 
So, um, yeah, I mean, for me, Blowout, it's one of my all-time favourite films, as I mentioned, and for me, it has the quality kind of of a nightmare. Um, it's definitely got a dreamlike, nightmarish quality, and it was influenced by Vertigo, so that kind of makes sense. But it also has, at times, the feeling of an accident for me. So, you know, things kind of move in slow motion before, you know, bam, you get hit with something, and you know never quite the same again afterwards it's just yeah it's an incredible film i love it so much if you haven't seen it please watch it please buy it it's so so good it is very very good it's a it's your i mean it's one of your favorite films of all time it's safe to say it's your favorite diploma film uh, yeah, I think, yeah. I think, yeah, I'd say so. There's a lot of competition. Um, I love De Palma, but yeah. Well, as with your feeling about Psycho 2, this is also Tarantino's favourite De Palma film. <laughs> and Tarantino cites it as the reason that he cast John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. Oh, wow. Well, because oh, that's of amazing. his movie. That's amazing. And, you know, we've mentioned Nancy Allen. Travolta is astonishing in this film. It's so good. It's such a, like, a natural, kind of quiet, multi-layered performance. Well, yeah, I think for our younger listeners who maybe only know latter-day Travolta when he's the sort of wrinkly-headed alien in platform <laughs> boots and a, a general madman, um, it's it's easy to forget that he was in this kind of film in his heyday. And he's, he's super handsome, he's super charismatic, but he's also really, really good. He's just a very good actor in this. Yeah, he's incredible. Um, shall we move on to recommendations based on this film? Uh... Yeah, are we just going to list all of the posters in the film production offices? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, the, uh, do you have a list there? I do, I do have a list, yeah. So there's a scene in the film where um, Travolta is in the production office of the company that he's working for, recording the sound. Throughout the film, they're giving him more and more shit for not doing his job because he's getting sidelined by his obsession with this murder potential conspiracy. Uh, and in, But he's also using their equipment to put together sound and video and, well, film uh, to try and like substantiate his theories so he spends a bit of time in the production office and uh, we noticed that a few arrow titles were there were posters on the wall of the production office for a few arrow titles incredible melting man island of the damned squirm are all on the on the walls of the production office but there are some that aren't Uh, and so we went through and we made a list of the of the films so um, without warning Food of the Gods, Fantasex, which has an amazing poster but is a porn film I think I haven't seen that one um, the Other Side of Julie, another adult film. Uh, the Boogeyman, Lure of the Triangle, which has a hilarious poster. I can't work out if that's a porn film or a uh, or a thriller. Um, and Empire of the Ants as well. So. Yes. And did you say Island of the Damned? Yeah, well, I think uh, haven't Arrow released it? Yes, they have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So that was in my first. Ah, uh, yes, first yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think he, uh, like Arrow, obviously have a connection to this, whoever this production company is, so they should, they should obviously release all of those. Maybe... Maybe not Fantasex. No, maybe not Fantasex. Um, right, so that's, that's Dan's... Academy. That's Dan's recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a lot there. Um, so my, my first recommendation is going to be, uh, it's pretty obvious, but if you haven't seen it, uh, De Palma, the, the documentary about Brian De Palma, which was released in 2015. Now, De Palma is a really interesting character, um, you know, he's not just an incredible uh, writer director. He's also uh, been part of some of the sort of biggest movements within film. So he was the person who introduced Scorsese to De Niro before Mean Streets. And he also introduced Scorsese to uh, Paul Schrader before yeah. Taxi Driver. And he helped write uh, the opening crawl for Star Wars with George Lucas. So 
he's been in the mix for a lot of interesting things and uh, the documentary is basically just him sitting down telling stories about his career um, for nearly two hours and uh, it's far more engaging and uh, mesmerizing (laughs) and interesting than that might sound Uh, he's quite a storyteller and it is a fantastic documentary so I recommend De Palma yeah it's really good it also has the the original ending to Snake Eyes in it yes So you can see that. I assume that's probably on a disc of Snake Eyes. I don't own Snake Eyes. <laughs> but yeah, no. Okay, so my first recommendation based on this is Barbarian Sound Studio by Peter Strickland. It's a really nice, uh, slightly grimy um, period film about a sound engineer who is who's taken from non-genre world and thrust into the world of Italian exploitation, uh, cutting sound for a horror movie, and it sort of slowly sends him mad. Um, and if you think of uh, blow up the conversation and blow out as a sort of contextual trilogy then I guess this is the like almost like a, a footnote to that it's really really worth watching um, but if you do watch it make sure you watch it in a with a good sound system uh, like like all of the, the other films we've mentioned it really deserves really good sound yeah absolutely yeah, great film yeah, and um, uh, De Palma was a, a massive fan of the conversation, um, and he actually wrote an article for a magazine uh, about the conversation when it was out, which included an interview with Francis Ford Coppola. So it's a very all the the, the homage in this film is obviously very deliberate. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, for my second recommendation, I went kind of obvious with the first one. I'm going to go weird with the second one. So. Um, I would like to recommend The Devil's Candy, mainly because it's an excuse to recommend The Devil's Candy. Now, Devil's Candy played at Fright Fest, um, not this year, but the year before, um, uh, at the same time as uh, my short film, Hell's Garden, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, which won Best Scare, uh, Total Films Best Scare Award, don't worry about it. Anyway, Devil's Candy is amazing, very underrated. I don't even think it's been released on DVD in this country yet. Please, Arrow, please pick it up. Um, and what connects it to Blowout is it's also about a sound. One of the... I, I'm not going to go too much into the plot, but let's just say that one of the characters is obsessed with a sound and um, it drives them um, through quite a twisted horror film which contains incredible performances, um, including a lead that is unrecognizable from his previous work like completely unrecognizable yeah i really love devil's candy and please someone in the uk pick it up and i think if you're in the us you can watch it on netflix um but yeah great film have you got a copy of it i do not know i've not seen it oh well oh i'll track one down yeah uh yeah no i missed that that year but that sounds really good i like yeah films about sound we recommended um living dead at manchester morgue last time mm. and that's obviously about a sound as well so yeah uh yeah nice my next recommendation is a bit of a shill, um, but not for any reason other than coincidence. Uh, it's Evil Ed, which is actually more related to Barbarian Stu- Sound Studio than it maybe is to Blowout, but I really like it. I think they're, no, not- no, they're both about filmmaking, aren't they? Definitely about filmmaking. It's about an editor who, again, comes from a, a non-genre background, uh, is thrust into genre and is sent mad by his work. Um, but unlike Barbarian, which is quite arty, it's, uh, it's super over-the-top, violent, uh, like sort of fun horror. So, like, just as the other three sort of make a weird trilogy, uh, Barbarian, Blowout, and and Evil Ed would make a peculiar trilogy as well. And that's available on Blu-ray from Arrow, so. 
Nice, excellent. Well, um, shall we move on to recommendations based on the past couple of weeks? Dan, what have you got? Am I going back to back? I don't mind. Yeah, cool. Um, I would say the first one, I've been watching a lot of Korean films recently because Sam and I are doing an audio commentary for The Villainess soon and I've been plugging some gaps, some things I've missed over uh, over the last couple of years. Um, and one I really enjoyed was a film called The Berlin File, which is from 2013, uh, directed by Seung Wan Ryu who's quite a big hitter in South Korea. He did um, Arahan, which is great fun, uh, sort of fantasy action, which has the most insane end fight uh, I think I've seen in a, well, in ever, really. He also did Veteran and City of Violence, which I'll be talking about on the audio commentary. But um, uh, the nice thing about Berlin File, so Berlin File is a spy espionage movie in the mould of the Cold War, but it's uh, about North Korea versus South Korea, but it's set in the German sort of embassy of of South Korea and North Korea. And it's absolutely fantastic. It's sort of equal parts Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy and Born Identity. And then it's got a little spattering of Bond in there as well. But it's got really, really good action, um, really good espionage. It's nice and complicated, but not so complicated you can't follow it. Um, I strongly recommend it. Fantastic. That's really good. I'm going to do... a. Very, very quick. No, in fact, I'm not going to do a double bill. I'm going to save one of them for extra features. Um, <laughs> I saw Mother last week, um, Darren Aronofsky's Mother, um, and I also interviewed Aronofsky and Jennifer Lawrence about it. If you saw that thing about why she decided to do the X-Men again, um, that came from me. Even in the articles where they didn't credit me, that came from me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Mother uh, is an overwhelming and um, astonishing experience. It's a, it's a horror film. It's um, it's a, almost like a stage play to start with. And then, you know, uh, there's a turn. But I won't say any more than that because I can feel Dan squirming next to me because he no, doesn't no. want any spoilers. I, yeah, I don't want any spoilers. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. I haven't but, seen it. So. But yeah, it's, it'll be out by the time this podcast goes live. So um, do yourself a favour and go and watch it. But brace yourself for intensity. Dan. Um, so my next one, uh, which is a little bit of a cheat because I didn't actually watch it in the last fortnight. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's Dave Made a Maze. Oh, God, yeah, we watched that ages ago. Yeah, we did, but abs- both absolutely loved it. And yeah. It sort of sprang back to mind uh, a little while ago, and I realised that this is the best platform on which to recommend it. Sure. Um, it's an independent film from, well, we watched it last year. I think it's coming out this year. Um, it may be out in America already. It's not out in the UK yet. Directed by Bill Watterson, no relation, um, who's mostly been a sort of bit part actor in various films. But it's a um, it's a really charming, independent fantasy comedy um, about a woman who comes home and finds that her boyfriend who is who systematically puts off his responsibilities as an adult has made a cardboard maze in the living room uh, and is now stuck in it and she and various friends team together to go in and retrieve him and like the TARDIS it's bigger on the inside Um, stylistically really lovely um, and very very funny really really worth watching Fantastic. Yeah, I uh I am a massive fan of that film. It was it was a wonderful experience and I think it's playing at some festivals. Um I think it's uh maybe at Grimfest in Manchester coming up. Yeah, but, it was actually um, shown to us by Kayla Denise who does programming for a lot of festivals. Um she's a fantastic font of recommendations of stuff before anyone has access to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kayla Janice. Janice? Yes. Oh, I'm terrible. Sorry. 
And my final recommendation is a film called Be My Cat, a film for Anne. Now, uh, it's a found footage movie, so uh, how much you enjoy it will be entirely dependent on how you feel about that subsection of cinema. I am a big fan of it, so it's kind of an easy sell. Um, but it's also the first Romanian found footage movie I've seen. And uh, it's quite uh, a twisted film. Um, it's about an amateur filmmaker who decides to make a film to prove that he's worthy of working with Anne Hathaway. Um, and he sort of <laughs> points the camera at himself quite a lot and um, talks to Anne directly, um, which sort of brings an element of comedy to it. Um, but it's also really, really fucking dark, um, really uncomfortable scenes as he basically, you know, hires actresses for his horror film. Um, and the way he interacts with them is incredibly creepy. And yeah, it's got lots of, um, quite nasty payoffs. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite an experience. Um, just astonishingly acted. Um, you know, it, it really deserves to have more attention put on it because it's this really sort of special dark indie film that's kind of a bit like a cross between, um, I guess it's, it's very man bites dog. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a really good film and, uh, I recommend it. Uh, Be My Cat, a film for Anne. My, uh, my second favourite found footage film of all time, Man by Stog. Oh, God, Absolute yeah. Absolute masterwork. Yeah, it is a masterpiece, yeah. Uh, I, think I, I used to be obsessed this. with that film. Yeah, I love it. I think I might have said this about a different film last time, but it's one of the few VHSs I still have. Oh, nice. Because I've got the, the big VHS box set that came with the production stills. Amazing. Uh, yeah, um, incredible. Great. So, um, have you, you've done your two, haven't you? I've done two out of three. Oh, so are we doing, are three. We doing three, three this three. week? You've done three, haven't you? No. Have you not? No. Oh, we'll do three this week. I thought we were doing two like last time. No, we're doing three. Okay. And in fact, I'm, I'm sort of going to do four because... Oh, <laughs> but I'll, I'll tie the, the other one in first. The, the, my, my pseudo-thirds, my addition, inspired by um, Be My Cat, which Sam just recommended, which sounds incredible and I really want to see, is as much a recommendation as it is a, a cry for help uh, because it's a film I saw at a festival and have never been able to find since. So I'm basically going to recommend you a film you can't get hold of, except if you can get hold of it, please get in touch with me and let me know how I can watch it again. It's a Japanese documentary called The Virgin Wild Sides Part 2. It's about a filmmaker who sets up a film festival exclusively so that a peculiar Japanese shut-in can meet uh, an actress he's obsessed with and who he has made a film about. So he makes this movie about going back in time to propose to this actress before she turned 18 because he read in an article she wants to get married before she was 18 and that didn't happen for her. And so he sets up this film festival so that they can meet and then the rest of the film is sort of a training montage of him being able to talk to women. It's absolutely fantastic. It's called Virgin Wild Sides Part 2. It's not in IMDb. Uh, I saw it at Raindance years years ago. Jesper Sharp uh, programmed it. I've never been able to track it down again, with or without subtitles. But if anyone out there has a screener of it or a line on where I could get hold of a copy of it, I really want to see it again. Sorry, but my, my actual last recommendation... <laughs> I'm sorry, Sam. ...is a uh, Japanese animation I watched again. Uh, I think it's my third watch now, uh, called Mind Game from 2004. Uh, two directors, uh, Masaki Yuasa 
uh, and Koji Morimoto, uh, first uh, directing job by Yuasa Morimoto. He'd done a couple of shorts and features. He did some of the Animatrix, um, mostly an animation supervisor and key animator for films like Akira, Kiki's Delivery Service, that kind of stuff. Um, but it's an absolutely amazing journey about a guy who gets killed in a Yakuza showdown with a woman he's in love with and their journey to fight their way back to the world of the living from the afterlife. And it's absolutely amazing. Um, I don't know if it's ever been released in England. It's definitely been released in America. But if you can track it down, it's really, really worth watching. Right, we're going to go straight into extra features. Extra features? Extra features. Extra features. So, um, and this is going to be the quickest extra features ever because we're running out of time. But we'd like to talk a little bit about the London Film Festival, which is coming up. Um, partly because Arrow has a couple of uh, incredible films in there. They've got Blade of the Immortal, which I saw in Cannes and is one of the best films I've ever seen, not just <laughs> at Cannes, but in my life. Um, I can't wait till everyone's seen it and um, we can all dance around the room about it. It's so good. Um, they've also got The Endless, which I haven't seen, but I'm a big fan of the director's um, resolution. is a fantastic film if you haven't seen it find that and i think more of you will have seen spring which is also very good um not as good as resolution for me but still very good and i've heard very very strong things about the endless so um buy tickets for that when they're available dan do you have a recommendation from the london film festival yeah it's a bit of a personal plug um journeyman by paddy considine uh who you may know as the director of tyrannosaur or the actor who plays the lead in um, Dead Man's Shoes. Uh, it's a fantastic British actor. Um, his new film is a boxing drama. Uh, it's absolutely great, and I happen to do the special effects on it. It's, uh, there are three screenings at the BFI from the 12th of October. Tickets are available now uh, if you want to go and see that. Uh, I highly recommend it. And uh, one more from London Film Festival, um, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which I also watched last week. I watched Mother and this film like within a few days of each other, which was quite an experience because they're both total head fuck films and both very, very intense horror films. So, um, yeah, it's kind of um, tonally, it starts out being a little bit uh, Chris Morrissey and then it takes a turn and it becomes something else entirely, something else that's incredible and wonderful and creepy and awkward and i loved it so much so uh, i really recommend you go see the killing of a sacred deer if you fancy feeling really uncomfortable in a cinema um it's kind of um yeah it's it's unlike anything else that's playing at the festival this year so i hope you enjoy it i love a bit of discomfort yeah you were talking about how good that was and i'm 100 sold that sounds absolutely fantastic and it's a really strong year in general like um i won't go into much detail about these ones but call me by your name's also worth watching the florida project um yeah there's there's loads of good stuff so pick up a brochure if you're in london and if you're in the u.s book a flight <laughs> <laughs> right let's do our tweeters a tweeters? Yes. What is your tweeter? Um, uh, it's uh, thirteen finger fx. Uh, it's thirteen. Uh, the numbers one three uh, finger f i n g e r and then fx. That's Foxtrot X Ray. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm at Sam Ashurst, which is S A M A S H U R S T. It's my name for goodness' sake. Uh, we love you. Thank don't, you for don't, listening. Don't get out yet. What? Well, we've got the Arrow email that we've neglected to mention a bunch of times. Go recently. ahead. Yeah, go on. 
which is arrowvideopodcast at arrowfilms.co.uk. Sam and I get those directly. Feel free to send us longer form uh, messages than can can fit onto Twitter, and we'll try and include them in future extra features sections. Also, please do... Uh, rate uh, and review the podcast on iTunes Uh, it means a lot to me and subscribe as well oh yeah obviously subscribe obviously subscribe (laughs) like how are you not or yeah yeah we've we've, I think we've got up to five in the video and TV podcast charts now obviously we've slipped again it's burning me up inside I need I need that I hunger for it so please (laughs) subscribe review raters all that and uh, yes, please, please give Dan affirmation and I would like it too. All right. We love you. Thank you so much for listening. And we promise to be more professional next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.